This is episode number 269 with Marshall Silver. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? If you want to listen to my episodes one day earlier than they are released anywhere else, you have to download the app Himalaya and follow my show. Himalaya is free, super easy to use, and has every podcast you can think of. I love that you can leave comments under each episode and even create episode playlists. Make sure you check it out today. You may know Marshall Silver as the number one leading expert on subconscious reprogramming and irresistible influence. For over 20 years, he has entertained, educated, and transformed the lives of thousands of people. He is the author of Passion, Profit, and Power, and through infomercials has sold over a million copies of his personal development programs worldwide. In fact, his teachings on personal development have been the main attribute to his worldwide acclaim. He has led training programs for IBM and Ford, teaching the management of these leading corporations how to motivate employees, while also teaching staff how to easily produce higher sales. He has been named the Millionaire Maker and is one of the most sought-after keynote speakers. He has been invited to teach on other speakers' platforms, including Donald Trump, Robert Kiyosaki, Bill Clinton, Robert Allen, and many others. Through education, he motivates people to take action in the present moment and change their lives in a positive way forever. With that, he was itching for a bigger challenge and is now on a mission to win a Nobel Prize for single-handedly turning around the economy of the United States by creating a whole new curriculum, Prosperity Alliance, his latest masterpiece. Now, it is a collation of individuals committed to helping others create abundance in their lives, as well as help solve all the world's financial challenges through education. And in today's episode, we chat about his story and how he got his awesome title, The Millionaire Maker the money beliefs that are blocking you and how to achieve an abundant money mindset, the secrets of the state of certainty, why everyone is just an idea away from becoming a millionaire, how to know which millionaire idea you should take action on, breaking the taboo and actually asking others about their success and how they make money, how Marshall took care of his mum when she was retired, how taking big risks could lead to outstanding results and abundance, what he attributes his success to, a sneak peek on Marshall's new certainty center, plus so much more. And for everything that Marshall and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 269. And before we dive into this epic conversation with Marshall, I want to read the review of the week. 
And this week, it is a five-star review from Vanessa, and it is titled, Listening to Your Podcast Has Helped Me Through Such a Tough Time. And Vanessa says, Hi, Melissa. I just love listening to your podcasts. I often listen to them when I wake up in the middle of the night when my mind is racing. I then fall back into a relaxed sleep with good thoughts rather than being saturated by toxic thoughts. Thank you. Love, Vanessa. Thank you so much, Vanessa, for that kind review. And I'm so glad that you are getting so much out of these episodes and that they are putting you into a relaxed sleep. That's awesome. And don't forget to leave a review for your chance to be the review of the week for next week. And as a thank you gift for anyone who leaves a review, I want to send you my wildly wealthy guided meditation. All you have to do is email a screenshot to hello at melissarambrosini.com and that's it. And also, if you want to get my bursting with love guided meditation, You could leave a review on Amazon for either Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide or both and also send me a screenshot and you can get both of those guided meditations. They are awesome. So that's all you have to do. And now without further ado, let's bring on the incredible Marshall Silva. Marshall, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Eggs and steak. Is that like a traditional Thanksgiving breakfast or no? For for me, it is. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm so glad you're here. And I first discovered you on YouTube via a YouTuber. I think it was Marcus Health where you were sharing your story of the third birth of your child, Prosperity, which is her name, which you actually live streamed. So you live streamed your birth. It was an at-home water birth where your wife was basically in a hypnotic state and she hummed in a blissful state the baby out of her. Guys, you are hearing me correctly. She literally hummed the baby out. Now, after watching that and after I picked my jaw up off the floor, I knew that I had to get you on my show. So I became obsessed. I was like, who is this Marshall Silva? I became obsessed with learning about you and watching your videos. So apart from being a hypnosis expert, can you tell us about your story and how you got to where you are today doing the work that you now do and how you became the millionaire maker? Like, how did this all start for you? Those are excellent questions. Yeah, I was born into a family that has, there's 11 kids in our family and we were really poor and we grew up in a very poor part of the States. We had no running water. We had no electricity. We had little, sometimes no food twice our family was homeless. Second house we lived in was a converted chicken coop and had running water, had electricity. Awesome to me. But I got started as a young man with magic. I loved magic. And at 10 years old, discovered that people would pay me to do magic. And I thought, how awesome is that? I get paid to do exactly what I want to do. And as time went by, a hypnotist came to our high school and he hypnotized me at 16 years old that when he said the words, sunny boy, I would stand up from my seat in the audience. I'd walk back to the stage. I'd fall on my own butt. 
I'd roll my pad legs up above my knees. I'd climb on his lap. I'd put my thumb in my mouth and I'd say, sing it again, daddy. Well, I was extremely shy as a kid. I had a lot of social phobias because I'm wearing my sister's clothes to school every day. And so I went back to my seat in the audience, Melissa, and I said, there is no way I'm going to do this. Yet he says, sonny boy. And I feel like a magnet is pulling me back to the stage. The whole time I'm coming back, I'm thinking, I don't have to do this. But I did. I got on his lap, put my thumb in my mouth, and I said, sing it again, daddy. Well, I went home that night, and I was thinking, was I actually hypnotized, or was I just doing what he told me to do? And I thought, what if he had told you to be confident, and you just became confident? What if he had told you to go out and become a multi-multi-millionaire? And because he said that I could, I believed that I would. And I realized in that moment, if that was hypnosis, which it is, then it's one of the most powerful forces on the planet. I did some research, hypnotized a couple subjects in my teens, kind of walked away from it, but then fell back into it in my early 20s. And as they say, the rest is history. Since 23, I've been hypnotizing people, mostly in business, mostly to help them develop their, their finances. But also, as you mentioned, I hypnotized my wife to give birth to all three babies, some people would say that, that births were conceived by hypnosis, and I wouldn't argue with that. But the uh, first two ch children, my son Sterling and my son Maximus Silver, they were born in the tub. And my beautiful bride, Erica, wanted to show women that, that they have options, that they don't have to necessarily get cut open or you know get a needle stuck inside of them, that they can use their mind and just relax the baby into a birth. So that's what happened there. Honestly, I'm going to link to the video in the show notes because it's so good. Every single person needs to see this. And I showed my husband, I was like, watch this. It's incredible. And it's so <laughs> inspiring. I love that you live streamed it. I tried to find the live stream and I couldn't find it anywhere. But you can see this interview that you did with Marcus and there's snippets of the live stream in there. So it's so powerful. So apart from hypnotizing her during birth and helping people with their business and their money beliefs and, you know, calling in more abundance. What else have you worked with people on? I've helped people in all walks of life, everything from overcoming addictions to learning faster to becoming more confident. I train a lot of speakers. I train a lot of uh, people that want to speak on a platform and then want to monetize it. My forte is understanding how to monetize almost anything. Okay. This is awesome. All right. So this is how you got your title, The Millionaire Maker. So what are some of the limiting money beliefs that people have that really block them? And how do you help them through hypnosis? Because I still, like I, I've been hypnotized. I've had people on the show talk about it. But one of my big missions is to help people reprogram their limiting beliefs in all areas of their life, their health, their wealth, their relationships. But when it comes to money and wealth, what have you seen to be the most common blocks and the most effective remedy for those blocks? Like how do we identify if we have these limiting fear-based money stories or beliefs and how do we upgrade it to an abundant money mindset? You know, a lot of people spend time, Melissa, going back and attempting to figure out what was the initial sensitizing event. Where did this belief that I hold come from? And my experience, having done this for the past 34 years, is you don't really need to know the reason you do something. You just need to do it differently. And I think the biggest challenge for most people is they think there isn't enough for everybody. And so they have this underlying resentment toward people that have money. And because they have that underlying resentment toward people that have money, they don't want to resent themselves. So they continually sabotage, just throw a wrench in the gears. The other thing is our net worth is always directly tied to our own self-esteem. I am a people and a money magnet. That is not just a belief that I hold. It's a fact. 
And because I know that I'm a people and a money magnet and that things happen perfectly, they, they unfold exactly when they're supposed to, I never get anxious about it. And I think that's the biggest challenge is that most people are anxious. If they're, if they're wealthy, they're concerned they're going to lose their money. If they're poor, they're afraid they'll never be rich. And one of the biggest things that we can do that is useful is become unattached to either state. Don't become attached to being broke. Don't become attached to being rich. Become attached to living a really good life and giving other people value. And the money follows. I, I think that a lot of people forget that that we are how we live our life. And since our vocation ends up being a great majority of the time that we're allowed, that you need to find a vocation that you love, something that you would do even if you didn't get paid. Kind of like this show. I know you love the show, and I know we've been working on, on making this happen for a while. And uh, the last time we went to do it, we had some technical challenges on my side. And it's interesting to me because I hold the belief that all things happen perfectly and everything happens for a reason and it serves us. And so I want to tell you, it's interesting. I am doing some work with somebody that I, the moment I mention this person, most of your listeners are going to go, oh my gosh, I know who that is. His name is Jordan Belfort. He is the Wolf of Wall Street, which by the way, would be a great guest on your show. Oh, I'd love to have him on. He is going to Australia in February. I think it's the 18th and 19th of February. And he invited me to come join him. So it looks like I'm going to be down there with Wolfie uh, doing a couple of events and will be a ton of fun. Oh, we'll have to link to it in the show notes for sure. It's the 19th and 20th in Melbourne and Sydney. Awesome. We'll link to that for you. That sounds amazing. So tell us about that. So Jordan, you know, obviously the Wolf of Wall Street, he's a phenomenal salesperson, wrote a system called Straight Line. And I saw him, I was one of the facilitators at an event he was speaking at. And when I saw him, I instantly was drawn to him. I, I instantly said, this guy knows what he's talking about. This guy's really talented at what he does. And then when he met me, he said, oh my God, I know who you are. You're, you're the greatest closer from the stage of anybody on the planet. I said, well, thank you. If I find somebody better, I'll be their best student. He said, I love what you do. I'd like to, you know, hang out, chat. And so we did. And we've hit it off famously. Like I said, I think he's an amazing guy. I, I love what he teaches. He's, he cuts right to the chase. And it, it's strong stuff. He said, I want to learn how to close the way you close from the platform. And I said, I want to learn how to build sales teams like you built for your, for your firm. That sounds awesome. So what is the key to becoming a millionaire maker to becoming a money magnet is it confidence or is it you know the stuff you do with the hypnotic states like what are the keys and for someone listening who's like i realize that i have some money blocks that are holding me back like what can we do today i retired when my baby started being born i retired i caught my son sterling in my hands in the tub and i looked into his eyes and i said to my bride I'm done. You know, I've already made $250 million. I've lived a huge life. I've got you. I've got my son now. All I want to do is be retired and spend every waking moment with the two of you. And then I caught my son Maximus in my hands in the bathtub. And I looked into his eyes and I said to my wife, all I want to do is spend all my time traveling around the world, having adventures with, with you and Sterling and Maximus. And then my daughter Prosperity was born and I caught her in my hands and I looked into her eyes and I thought to myself, Little girls are really expensive. I need to get back to work. <laughs> and yet, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And what I realized was that there's this state beyond programming. There's this state beyond belief. And it's a state that I call a certain state, a state of certainty. Certainty is the absence of doubt. And so when people approach things in a certain way, when they are certain people, they have certain relationships, they have certain births, or they are a certain millionaire, what happens is there's no doubt. 
And so you don't get hung up on setbacks or bumps in the road. You say, no, it's just a minor setback. Everything's unfolding perfectly. And what I think is kind of amusing is, you know, we were supposed to do the show a couple of weeks ago. It was yesterday that Jordan asked me if I wanted to go down to Australia. And I said, yeah, I'm doing a show with a gal from Australia. I think I'd like to meet her. And that could be fun. So let me make sure my schedule is clear and we'll work it out. So the first thing people can do is they can be certain that they are a millionaire. And it starts at a real simple process, something I teach called psychoneuroduplication. And PND, psychoneuroduplication, has three steps. The first step is we must claim in a first-person state who we are. So in this instance, the listeners to this podcast should say out loud, I am a millionaire. And by saying that out loud, what happens is they'll automatically start accessing the portions of their subconscious mind that are already wired to be a millionaire and start releasing the portions of their brain that have doubt around money. The second thing you do in psychoneuroduplication is you gather up the available data. And the word available is key there. So many people are paralyzed by perfectionism. It's not quite right, so they don't start their podcast. It's not quite right, so they don't publish their book. It's not quite right, so they don't go out to find the love of their life. And and they're always getting ready to get ready. And so what you've got to do is gather up all the available data. It's not difficult to make money. It's just very different than most people think it is. And the challenge is, is most people are trained either by their parents or by their teachers in school and in college. And those people probably weren't multimillionaires. And so you can't learn to be a multimillionaire from someone that's never been one. They might have a theory. They might have a concept. They don't have any certainty or proof. If they did, they likely would have already done it. And so what you do is you go hack people. You find people that are already making millions of dollars. And you say, how did you do that? You know, for me, my life's been blessed. I've been on stage since I was seven years old. I open my mouth and money pours into my life. Those aren't just beliefs that I hold. I have the evidence of that for all of my years. The challenge for some other people is until you've made your first million and you know that you can, you know that it's in your DNA, that first one is the hardest. And so if you're listening to this this program right now, I'd suggest to you to skip the first one altogether. Just move on to the second one. And you do that by recognizing, once again, that you are a multimillionaire, even if the money has not yet been deposited in your bank account. And then the third step to psychoneuroduplication, step one, you say the words, I am a millionaire. Step two, you find millionaires. You see what they're doing. And I want to come full circle back to that in a moment. The third step is you simply act as if success is certain. You act as if you're already a millionaire. You make millionaire choices. I was talking to somebody the other day about one of my brothers argued on his his cell phone bill was overcharged $10. And he spent like an hour and a half on the phone arguing with the cell company. When he hung up, I said, what happened? He said, yeah, they credited my account. I said, you do realize that's six bucks an hour. You're on the phone for 90 minutes to get 10 bucks back. He said, it's a principle of the matter. I said, yeah, the principle of the matter is you're broke and you're arguing about 10 bucks. Move on already or change carrier. Let it go though. And I think too many people will consistently step over dollars to pick up dimes. They think that if I'm going to be a millionaire, I've got to work harder and harder. And the fact of the matter is, no, those that think govern those that labor. You have to stop working hard. You have to ask yourself the question, what's the highest and best use of my time? You know, if if I want to be a millionaire, I've got to farm out anything that pays me less than $500 per hour in a 40-hour work week, 50 weeks out of the year. Because anything that I could farm out for less than $500 an hour is time I can't get back, and time is the great equalizer. So one of the key things that every person has to do is consistently ask themselves the question, is this the highest and best use of my time? Such great advice. I talk a lot about this too, and 
I know for me personally, and I'm curious to know if this was the case for you when you were at the beginning of your journey, I struggled with delegating because I had this belief that I was like, well, no one can do it better than me. You know, when you delegate to other people who are capable, it frees you up to stay in your zone of genius, for you to be in that flow state and to do the things that really light you up and to create and to do those sorts of things. So I'm curious to know, did that happen for you when you were at the beginning of your journey? Like, did you have that belief where you thought, well, no one's going to do it better than me? Yes. And and the way you overcome that is you find three people that do it half as well as you. Now you're 50% ahead. And that really is something that, that we as entrepreneurs and business owners, we have to surrender to the fact that if that other person had the skill set and the talent that we had, they wouldn't work for us. They'd be their own business owner. And, and so you start accepting the fact that some people are just destined to be employees. That's, that's where their destiny is. And we need them. We do. Absolutely. I had the good fortune from the time I was 14 until I was uh, 21. I worked for a man that came up with the idea, and I don't know how they do it in Australia, the new idea of how they do Halloween. It used to be that there were costume stores that were uh, around year round, and you would go in and you would rent a costume for two, three days to go to a Halloween party and then take the costume back. Well, the challenge is the building is in business for 52 weeks out of the year, and yet really only does business two weeks out of the year. The fear was that if you shut down the shop, nobody would know where to go get their costume and you'd be out of business. But my mentor came up with the idea of renting a, it started off being the garden departments at the Sears stores, renting out the garden department in October because it closed down at the end of September. And he only leased the space for 30 days, set up his Halloween store, sold his costumes and you know all the Halloween goods, and then shut the doors down at the end of October. And so therefore had zero overhead for the whole year, had maximum profit because he was now working on partly the traffic from the Sears store, but also the idea that people realize it's only going to be here for one month, but it'll be here next year. So come on back. Mm, Yes. And so I watched the guy, I watched the guy nine years, my senior, I was 14. He was 23 when I started working for him and I watched him go from basically broke, barely getting by to having 50, $60 million in the bank account. And it made me realize that all of us, we are one idea away from a million or even a billion dollars, just one idea. And when people can be certain of that, when they can be excited about that, then what happens is they're consistently looking for that idea. They're, they're not beating themselves up, wishing they had more money right now. They're saying, no, they're, I'm one idea away. What's the idea? Let me throw a whole bunch of ideas against the wall and see which one sticks. And then once again, coming back and asking, what is the highest and best use of my time? It's, it's not in mine or yours highest and best interest of our time to do things that could be done for minimum wage. In fact, we've got to avoid minimum wage activities. When I was a kid, my mother insisted that I make the bed every single day. I said, mom, I'm 13 years old. Nobody sees the inside of my bedroom ever except for me. Why am I making my bed? She said, because you need to have the discipline, Marshall. You need to do that or you'll never have discipline in your life. Well, I loved my mom and I didn't want to let her down. So I sold my bed. (laughs) I, I sold the bed. And I I put a hook in one corner of this little 10 by 10 bedroom that I had. It had sliding doors on the closet. I slid the door open. I put a hook inside the closet and then I bought a hammock. And so when I would wake up in the morning, I would just unhook it from the corner, hook it up in the closet, shut the door, bed made. Plus, I've got all that extra space to practice my magic and it worked out perfectly. I love that. I can imagine lots of people are going to be doing that now. (laughs) But, you know, it is interesting because... Oh, so much of what you said is just so great. I love that the delegating to three people and then you've got, you know, 50% more 
of who you are. I think that's great. And I love these three points. You've got to say it. You've got to find the evidence of the people that are already doing it. And then you've got to act as if. And this kind of applies to every area of your life. It doesn't just apply to money and wealth. It applies to everything, your health, your relationships. And that's what I love about you and your work is that it is you know, applies to all of the areas. And I totally agree. You know, you're one idea away from something massive, whether that's the million dollars or the multi-million dollars. There's so many ideas. And I feel like, you know, my husband and I, we have so many ideas coming out of our heads that we need to like rein it in. We want to do all of the things all at once, but you can do everything You just can't do it all in this very moment right now. So if you have all of these ideas swirling around in your head, how do you know which one to action? Like for me, it's gut feeling, you know, it's intuition. What lights me up the most? What really gets me excited? But I'm curious to hear, like, how do you know which one to action first? If say you have five or 10 ideas swirling around in your head. What I do is I like to do a couple things. I like to dovetail and stack things. So if I've got a project that seems to stand alone, yet it's somewhat related to another project, I like to figure out how can I make them work together. I'll give you an example. I am not only an entertainer. I, I've been on tons of television shows all around the world. I have a show that's been in Vegas on the main stage, up and down the strip, a hypnotic show. I use the hypnotic show to excite people's imagination so they'll want to learn more on the educational side about how to apply hypnosis to their businesses and making money, to their relationships and having harmony and passion and turn on, to their life having health. And so because of that, they buy a ticket to the show, they enjoy the show, the show excites their imagination, they come back to a lecture, the lecture they realize how powerful this stuff is, and then they sign up for our seminars, and it's, it's full circle. But the, the thing that I know is that money cures most things, and that most people, though, are, are not doing well. And so you've got to eat chicken while you're hunting elephants. And what I mean by that is you've got to do whatever you've got to do to get by, to make sure that you're fed, that you're clothed, that you're housed. But in the same time, you've also got to be looking for where's the elephant? Where's the big prey that I can find that that will change everything for me? Many years ago, I was watching uh, television and infomercials had just come into being. And I was watching Tony Robbins infomercial. And I did some research, come to find out he was doing about three million U.S. dollars a month in his product. There was another show running in the States. It was a woman named Dionne Warwick, and she had this thing called the Psychic Friends Network. And I did some research, come to find out they were doing $30 million a month, 10 times more than Tony Robbins. And I said, okay, there's something here halfway between the two, between personal development and the magic that is, you know, the psychic network. And I said, I'm that guy. And so I, I took every dime I had. I went actually about a quarter of a million dollars into debt. I created an infomercial. And in the first year, we did $120 million worth of sales on a show that cost me $250,000, yet I made $120,000 in sales, including Australia. We were very big down in Australia. So again, you're, you're one idea away. I, I have a new thing that we're working on that's a, a billion-dollar idea inside of certainty. You know, with my three babies and my beautiful bride, I, I really realized the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And I don't think it's just the U.S. I think it's everywhere. People have gotten a little bit crazy. Up is down, down is up. And, and I said, no, we've got to get back to certainty. We've got to get back to seeing things clearly. And if the emperor has no clothes, we say, no, the emperor has no clothes. I don't care if every last one of you thinks he does, he does it. And, and so that's what the Certainty International is all about and the Certainty Institute is helping people 
get the education that they need to survive in life, that they won't get from school, they won't get from college. They are likely not to get it from a mentor because not that many mentors understand the full depth of everything, better relationships, better wealth, a better emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual well-being. And then more importantly, almost nobody knows how to program those certainties into someone's mind so that it's not about learning, it's about becoming someone new. And that that new individual that you are naturally responds to things in such a way that it, it gets you everything you want. Oh, love it. Do you think it's appropriate to ask people, you know, in your PND three-step process, you know, the second step being find people who are doing it and making, you know, loads of money. Do you think it's appropriate to say, how do you make your money? Like a lot of people, it's a taboo topic. So like, how do you approach it? You know, I have been over to China 22 times. And the first time I went over there, I didn't want to go. This guy approaches me in Las Vegas at my show. And he said, uh, you're bigger than Elvis in Taiwan. And I said, really, how's that? He said, your infomercial's on all the time. I said, wow, um, you know who the promoter is? Because I wasn't running the show in, in China. But they had uh, duplicated it. They had hoodwinked it and dubbed everything over into Chinese and were selling my product without me knowing it. Second thing he said was, I want to bring you over to Taiwan for 10 shows and 10 lectures. And I said, I, what language do they speak there? He said, they speak Chinese. I said, I don't speak Chinese. He said, we'll work through an interpreter. I said, I don't think hypnosis will work through an interpreter. And this is, mind you, 25 years ago. He said, we'll pay you $50,000 per day, $500,000 all up front in cash. I said, I think it'll work just fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make it work. Yeah, I went over there not knowing if it was going to work, except no risk, no goodies. And I, like I said, I've been over there 22 times, so clearly it worked. But one of the things that somebody said to me is that the Chinese are much more conservative than Americans are. So you'll have to have a Chinese sensibility. And for me, I, where, wherever I go, I'm going to be me anyway. And I, I didn't believe that they were massively conservative and, and prudish. And so I talked about sex. I talked about money. I talked about anything. And I watched these people melt, that somebody had the courage to say what everything everybody else was either not talking about or whispering about. And that's the reason we've been back so many times. So one of the things that I believe is absolutely when you ask somebody, you know, you seem to be extremely successful. Do you mind me asking what you do? They're likely to want to tell you. Secondly, if you ask them, you know, have have you been successful with this? Have you made a lot of money? If you don't mind me asking, what have you earned? People that are achieving at the highest levels, they don't mind telling you. In fact, they like to tell you because that's part of the reason they achieved what they achieved was so that they can talk about it. I had the Buddhist curse of everything that I wanted. When, when I met my bride, she was the last thing missing from my world. I'd been married twice before my one true wife. And I'm glad that I was because it let me know what a gift she is. And, and all things are, are minor. Anytime something comes up, it's like nothing because I'm saying, look, I got you. You're the greatest gift in the world to me. And then when my son Sterling was born, it was even more so. It was almost, like I said, I didn't think I was going to be able to have kids. I thought too much time had gone by. I thought I was too old. And when my daughter Prosperity was born, something inside of me said, Marshall, you're not done. And I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do, Melissa, because I didn't want to do what I'd been doing before, even though it was massively lucrative. And what I was doing before was being a machine, getting on stage every single week and flying to you know different cities throughout the world. And I didn't want to do that because I didn't want to be away from my family. But I said, you know what? In order to create a legacy, you've got to let go of your final Achilles heel. And my final Achilles heel was something that, frankly, uh, Tony Robbins or somebody like that still has. 
my Achilles heel was I wanted credit for the transformation of my students, of my customers. I, I wanted them to know where it came from rather than me training other trainers and having the trainers go teach people and have them say, oh, my gosh, you know, AJ is so amazing or Steve is so good. He changed my life. And, and I realized that until I let go of that thing, that vanity, my favorite sin, I would never get to a place where my business could run without me so that I could scale it. And if I wanted to, I could sell it and or just hand my wife a billion dollar check on my 60th birthday. Wow. Oh, my goodness. I really want to see you in action. I really would love to come to one of your shows because I love magic. I love your energy. I want to be hypnotized by you. And so that's my first thing. You need to come to Australia and do your show. I really want you to. I would love that. Like I said, the universe is fascinating because uh, it wasn't five days after I started interacting with Jordan that he said, you have to come to Australia with me. I really want you to come to Australia. And and I'd been telling my wife that I wanted to go down to Australia for a long time now that the kids are a little bit older. And so I think we're going to put it together. Like I said, I think we'll be down there in February. Oh, my goodness. This is amazing. So one of the beautiful things that you can do with abundance is you can be of service. You can you know, help your family, your parents financially. You can start organizations. You can donate. You can do all of these beautiful things with it. So I want to know what are some of the most inspiring to you things that you've done with your money? I, uh, in the United States, we have something called social security. I don't know if you have the equivalent there in Australia. And what it is, it's a fund that we pay into every time our paycheck is issued to us, a small amount is taken out of our check and given to the government. And what's supposed to happen is that when people turn 65, they start getting a check every single month. That's that money that they put in over the previous, you know, 45 years of their life. The truth, though, two things. Number one, the money that they take out, they don't give all of it back. The government keeps a fair share of it. And frankly, here in the States, it looks like it's probably going to be eliminated altogether. And all the money that they collected, the government's just going to keep for themselves and not give any back to the citizens that actually gave it to the government under that pretense. But I was there the day that my mother got her first social security check from the government. I was there when I saw her look at the amount and I was there when she started to weep. And I know what it was. She was looking at this check and she was thinking, I can't survive on this. I'm going to have to work until I drop dead. And so from that day until she passed 20 years later, I took complete and total financial care of my mother in every way. Got her a brand new car every four years, gave her cash every single month, took care of all of her bills, made sure she lived a really big life. And so I'm proud of that. You know, I think that that part of what I love about having money is being able to help people that that just wouldn't get help in any other way. I had a student and I, I don't say this. I say this only because it, you asked a very specific question. I had a student who had come through my seminars and he he got this thing called chronic wasting disease. It's kind of like mad cow disease. What it is, he ate bad deer meat, bad venison, and his fingers and his toes, his extremities started eating away, just started dissolving. And when he got to me, his mother had mortgaged her, her home. She didn't have anything left. They'd gone through all the bank accounts. And he said, you know, I feel really bad even reaching out because I'm sure a lot of people reach out to you. And I said, they do. And he explained what was going on. He said, if you don't want to help me, I understand. But if you could help me, I would be grateful. And I believe deeply in God. And I believe in trusting intuition and trusting your gut. And I, there, in that moment, I realized that, you know, God put me in a position to do something really good for this guy. And even though it was a strong six figures of, of treatment, 
it certainly added a lot of years and quality to his life. So those are the kinds of things. You know, I, I, I secretly pray that I'm in the right place at the right time, even if it's somebody about to step into the street because they're not paying attention, to grab somebody, pull them back from harm's way, and actually know that I saved their lives. The other piece, though, for me, and it's, it's kind of what you talk about on this show, is that I came out of retirement for my children. And it wasn't just to make money. It was to make the world a genuinely more functional place where it doesn't take a whole lot to make the world work well. We have more than enough food and shelter and abundance for everybody on the planet, every single person on the planet to be fed, to be housed, to be warm, to be healthy. The challenge is our governments, as hypnotic as they are, have uh, convinced the citizenry that we've got to spend a lot of money to buy very expensive things that blow each other up. And unfortunately, there's some people, the, the people that wield the power, get extremely wealthy doing those things. So my belief is that once everybody becomes responsible at the same time, I, I, I owe you exactly what you owe me, and that's nothing. When we get to a place where people realize everybody's expected to measure up, and if there's no such thing as a government benefit, anything the government gives to any of its citizens, some other citizen gave to the government. So there's no such thing as government benefits. Those are citizen benefits. Those are things. And if the government asked me, you know, hey, Marshall, you can either pay into this retirement fund and we'll give it back to you when you're 65, or you can keep it all together. Just know you won't get anything when you're 65. I tell them, hey, let me keep my own money. I handle my money much better than you do. So why don't we just go all do our own part? This is, my mind is blown. I'm curious to know, your 10 siblings, did they, because you, you know, you said you, you were very poor when you were a child, did they have this shift in their money mindset or did some of them not? Like, I'm curious to know how this has played out for your siblings. That's a great question. And here's what's interesting. I have, I have four brothers. I have six sisters. And if you took all of their wealth combined and you multiplied it by, gosh, I don't know, a hundred, it wouldn't come close to where I am. And I know a few things happened. Number one, I started working full-time when I was 10 years old because I liked magic and we had no money. I started working full-time so that I could earn money to buy magic tricks. And so it was just natural for me. I'd get out of school at two o'clock. I'd go over to the farm around the corner and I'd work from 2.30 until 10.30 and I would do that five days a week. And because of that work ethic, because I didn't see it as work, I saw it as a life. And, and I never had to ask my mom for anything. In fact, as it was growing up, my mother would, quote, unquote, borrow money from me because I was the only child that was actually working and earning money. Um, the other thing, though, is, is I have a couple of brothers, for sure, that my wealth has become their resentment, that, that because we grew up together and because we all had the same opportunities, I took some very different paths. They took very secure paths where they had a nine to five job and they, they keep going back to work every single day. And I always took risks. I always said, no, I'm going to, I'm going to find what I love first and foremost. I'm never going to have a job. And the second thing is, is I'm going to take big risks because I believe there's a big win here. Now taking big risks, there's the opportunity for big losses. And if you take any venture capitalist investor, let's say they have $100 million to invest. They put $10 million into 10 different companies. Nine of those companies are going to go bankrupt. They're going to lose $90 million. And people ask, well, then why in the world would they invest that, that $100 million? It's because the 10th company that they put $10 million into becomes worth billions. That's why they do it. And so it, it's got to be in our psyche to know that we've got to throw a lot of noodles against the wall until one sticks. You've got Amazon as a good example. Uh, Jeff Bezos lost billions with a B, billions of dollars when he first launched the company. 
And now inside of 20 years, at least the documented people, he's one of the wealthiest people on the planet. And again, it's that thing of certainty. It's coming back to knowing this thing that I'm doing has value. This thing that I do serves other people. Therefore, I know they're going to want it. And you just keep swinging the bat until you connect. I have to interrupt this conversation to tell you about one of today's podcast sponsors, Blue Blocks, the only blue light glasses backed by science. Now, if you follow me on social media, you will know that I love my blue blocking glasses and I wear them every day because they help alleviate digital eye strain, keep your hormones balanced and help you get a deeper, more restorative sleep. They are made in Australia, which means they are very high quality and all their glasses come in readers, prescription and non-prescription. And you can even send in your own frames and have them add their lens technology to your frames. And for every pair purchased, they donate a pair of reading glasses to Restoring Vision, who then gift them to someone in need in the developing countries. How awesome is that? So to get 15% off, head to blueblocks.com. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com and enter the code Melissa at the checkout. Now let's get back to the conversation. What do you attribute your success to? If you could, you know, narrow it down to one thing, and everyone has a different definition of success. So what do you attribute yours to? I want to define success as it is for me, at least. Success for me is love, truth, and joy. It comes from a place of love. There's only two emotions. There's either fear or love. Love is an expansion. Fear is a contraction. Truth being, it's not fabricated. It's real. It's what it's, it's what is. It's not my my trance or my hypnosis or my denial. It's real. And then the final thing, though, joy makes me feel good. So like I said, the, the most important thing, it's, it's Thanksgiving here in the United States, the day that we, we celebrate that the pilgrims came from England over to the United States. And so my family is always, we always talk about gratitude because that which we focus on expands. The rich do get richer. We just got to acknowledge that we're rich today, even if we don't have two nickels to rub together. We were talking about what we're grateful for. And of course, the first thing I'm most grateful for is my wife and my children. The other thing I'm grateful for is health. I'm grateful that God has shown me how to create prosperity. I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm at my beach house in Southern California. Our main house is in a town called Las Vegas, Nevada. That's where our, our main residence is. And, you know, we fly all over the world, mostly in private jets. We celebrate our lives. We live exactly like we want to. And I think that the best thing people can do, number one, get, get to gratitude as quickly as they can. I'm positive that persistence pays off. So do not give up. Yet do not give up and also be joyful in that process. I was very poor growing up. I did a couple of things that made me many, many, many millions of dollars. I was very foolish. I thought that the, the faucet on the tub was going to stay open. I didn't realize somebody turned the faucet off and I hadn't put a plug in the bottom because I didn't realize I was going to need to. And so I lost all that, became poor again. Well, I got rich again because I knew that I could. I married the wrong person, got very poor again. And then I got wealthy all over again. And then I met my bride. And then in 2007, 2006, 2007, the economy in the United States tanked, just went flat. And I had a lot of real estate holdings that went upside down. And so I went fairly south again. And my beautiful bride said to me, we'd been together for a little while. She said to me, sell everything. We don't need two houses. We certainly don't need six cars. Let's sell both houses. Let's, let's go 
find a one-bedroom apartment for, for me and the, the boys and you, and we'll live simply. And I, I looked into her eyes, and I realized in that moment that she wasn't with me for the money. And my own belief, on a subconscious level, there was some part of me that wanted to know that she loved me and that if things got bad, she wouldn't take the kids and run. And she proved that. And so more than ever right now, I'm positive all things are temporary. We've got to find joy in the worst of circumstances or we'll never find joy in the best of circumstances. You know, if you can't appreciate the fact that you may be eating ramen or mac and cheese, except you're eating something, be grateful for that. And then on the days that you're not eating, be grateful that you're alive to not eat. And I don't think people understand that at its core level, that you, what you focus on expands, what you believe to be true is true for you. I have a, one of my pilots, when we fly private jets back and forth between Vegas and Southern California, I was flying by myself. And sometimes when I fly by myself, I like to sit in the cockpit and talk to the pilot. And he said, Marshall, I have another person, another customer just like you that has, has been extremely wealthy and then lost most everything and then became extremely wealthy again. And, you know, I've seen you do it once and you came back to wealth. He said, how do you feel when you're broke? I said, I've never been broke. I've been between fortunes. And so again, it comes back to that idea of certainty, knowing, no, this is temporary. I'm, I'm going to get it back. And then when you have a lot of abundance, not being that attached to the abundance, meaning my beach house and my private jets and my palace in Las Vegas, that's not what makes me happy. What makes me happy is I choose to be happy. What makes me happy is I choose to hug my wife and kids just a little bit too long. What, what makes me happy is the fact that we've had an amazing storm going on here in Southern California. And it, while it knocked the Internet out for a while, it also cleared the air tremendously. And so when we can focus on things that bring us joy, come from a place of love and are also the truth, what will happen is miracles will happen in our lives. Yes, totally agree. What are you working on or would like to improve within yourself at the moment? Because I feel like, you know, we're always growing and we're always evolving. That's why we're here on earth. So what's something that you're working on right now? My babies are eight, six, and four. And I'm, I'm 57. I turned 60 in May. And I, I really never realized how fast time was going by. Do you have kids? I have a 13-year-old bonus son. Then, well, I'm sure even with the bonus son, you realize it's a blink. And kids are such a barometer of how fast time goes by. And so for me, I am doing everything I can to make sure that my wife is plenty provided for, that my kids have great knowledge of how to make their world happen on purpose. So we've acquired the first of what will be many worldwide certainty centers. And the certainty center is a place where people can go and be entertained, except it's entertainment with a purpose. And so they'll go in on, say, Friday and Saturday nights, and they'll see a show of certainty, which is a hypnotic show with different semantics. And at the end of doing all these amazing things, the performer will say, hey, if you love what you saw, and I know that you did, and you want to know how to apply this technology, certainology in your own life to have better relationships, to have more money, to have emotional, mental, physical well-being, come on back on Tuesday night. We'll teach you how we did it. And then they'll come back on Tuesday for free and they'll learn some powerful things that will also inspire them to want to see what other courses we have for sale and other programs that they can take. On the weekends, on Saturday and Sunday in the afternoon as a matinee, there'll be a show called Kid Show. It's a magic show for kids of all ages. And it'll start with my kids starring in the show. And it's a magic show that, that it's, it's a grandiose illusion show for everybody. Adults are going to love it. Kids are going to love it. Yet toward the end of the show, my sons will walk out and they'll say, hey, if you love what you saw, we just want to tell you, you don't have to wait to be an adult to start your own business. 
You know, we started our own business here. We're, make, we're making more money than most adults make on a regular basis doing what we love. If you'd like to learn as a kid how you can start making money and doing what you love, come on back on Tuesday afternoon after school, and we're going to do a class called the Young Entrepreneur Society. So for me, that's what I'm excited about is having these certainty centers all over the world, having a means for people to get, get together and network with other like-minded people, have a means for people to be filled up because you know, part of the challenge is the media, television, radio, the internet is the most hypnotic medium on the planet. And the majority of the content, it's not just bad content, it's poisonous. And so if all that poison is pouring into people's lives on a regular basis, it becomes very difficult for them to find pure water. But if you take, uh, as an example, if you take a glass and it is half filled with pure poison and you take a picture of pure water, once you fill that glass all the way to the brim, it's still poisonous. It's still toxic. If you drink it, you'll likely get sick, if not die. But if you keep pouring that water into that glass, what happens? It overfills. It spills over. And if you keep pouring that purified water into that glass, it dilutes it, it dilutes it, it dilutes it until it's finally completely pure water. And that's what I want our certainty centers and certainty theaters to be. I want them to be places that people can come, that they can be poured into both through entertainment when they don't even realize it's happening, through education by their own decision and choice, to a place where they have a certain community, they're interacting with positive, responsible people, all willing to do their part to make this world a better place. I think that's, that's what I'm excited about these days. Oh, I love it. I would love to see that. I'm going to come for sure. And maybe you can open up one in Australia for us. Done. Let's do it. Oh my God, it sounds amazing. And I love that you're getting the kids involved. It's so important and so powerful Like to have them out there doing that, making their own money. Like It's just amazing. Well, again, I often wonder, how would life be if every person was told you have a million-dollar debt and you have to pay this million-dollar debt back by your 18th birthday or we put you to death? Because if you're not a contributing member of society, then you'll be a, a weight on society. So you must figure it out before your 18th birthday. If everybody had to do that, then everybody would recognize they could make a million bucks, whatever that number is. And everybody would realize they had to get to work early. They had to start working earlier in their life rather than live with their parents until they're 45 years old. Yep. Yeah, this is my my brain is like ticking and I'm thinking how can we what can we do with Leo like he's 13 and we I'm um, yeah, we talk a lot about this sort of stuff with him and entrepreneurship and helping him discover what it is that really lights him up and there's a few things so yeah, my brain is ticking and I can't wait for him to listen to this episode. Awesome. So, you know, back to that uh, with our kids. We make sure that the the kid is they're, they're learning what they're interested in. And so rather than force a curriculum down their they're homeschooled, rather than force a curriculum down their throats, we have them learn what they want to learn. They, of course, have to learn how to read and how to write and how to do math, not even so much the math anymore. We want them to understand the context of math. We also, though, want them doing what they love. And so as an example, the kids all love music. Uh, the boys love karate. One of the boys loves Origami, loves paper folding and loves painting and sculpting, loves things that are artistic. The other one is more of an engineer, loves the logic of things. And, you know, giving them the confidence even to get on stage from the time they were born. They, they like being in front of people more than they like being anywhere else. They're, they're all natural entertainers, yet they also are expected to measure up. Sometimes we'll go out and I'll watch other people and, and their kids. And sometimes they'll sit down in a restaurant. First thing they do is they hand their kid a, a iPad or an iPhone. So the kid is 
has attention on something, but they don't pay the kid any attention. Our children, when they go out, they're expected to behave. They're expected to measure up. They're expected to say thank you and please and and be polite to the people around them, have great manners. And, you know, sometimes they, they question, well, why do you have us do that? Those kids over there aren't doing it. I say, yeah, those kids have bad parents. I said, I want you to know that everything we're doing for you, you're going to thank us for later. You'll you'll realize it made the world an easier place, including getting you on stage, including uh, having you, you know, pay for your own whatever extra thing is that you wanted. And one of the things we got Christmas coming up here, I have a friend of mine who is he's very wealthy, probably about the same level of wealth that we have, maybe even more. And he has this room in his house that's a pretty good sized room that he puts the Christmas tree in. And his objective during that Christmas, during December, is to fill up every square inch of that room with gifts. And it's, to me, I think he's ruining his kids. I think that he's hurting his kids thinking, you know, that this material life will bring any kind of joy or happiness. And so our kids, they get 10 total gifts combined from both mommy and daddy and Santa Claus, exactly 10. And it could be, a gift could be a t-shirt. It doesn't have to be an extravagant gift. They, They just get 10 gifts. And this past year, I asked my kids, I said, you know, when daddy was growing up, we were really poor and there were some Christmases we didn't get anything. And there are other kids that are really poor and you guys are very fortunate to have what we have. You should be grateful. They're always grateful. I said, would you guys be willing, you know, you get 10 gifts. Would you be willing to give up five of your gifts to give to kids that don't get gifts at all? Would you be willing to give up five of your gifts and only get five this year? And I was so proud of them. All three of them instantly said, yes, absolutely. Yes. Oh, that's so beautiful. Well, and again, it's it's that installation, I think, that needs to happen in kids. My mother, although we were poor, my mother insisted we have good manners. She insisted we be kind. She insisted we share. And, you know, those are the kinds of things that, I, again, as a responsible world, has to be taught again. Oh, totally. Kindness, manners, oh, they're just so important. What we do with Leo, who's my 13-year-old bonus son, is we do experiences instead of gifts because he gets gifts from grandparents and aunties and uncles and cousins and things like that. So we decided many years ago to give an experience. So something that he can you know, do like whether it's going to a show or some sort of adventure. And he absolutely loves that. I love it. Yes, I love it. It's such a great thing to do. So that's also something else that you could do. But I'd love to hear now, let's pretend that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. Now, besides your book, let's pretend that that's already in the curriculum. What's one book that you would choose? Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's so good, isn't it? It is. The challenge is I read it for the first time when I was 12. And it was, it was, it was heady. It was hard for me to understand all of it yet. I read it. And then I read it again when I was 13 and again, when I was 14 and I've read it probably 20 times at this point. The thing is though, is that none of the money stuff, none of what will end up being some of the most important content that a person could learn is ever taught in school. And I just, I know that kids need to understand the relationship to money. So my kids, as an example, my wife and I either play racquetball every single morning or we play tennis every single morning. And when we play tennis, the kids go with us to the tennis court. Uh, We have a tennis court at our home in Las Vegas, not one here at the beach house. So we go to a public park here at the beach house and the boys wanted to earn some money. And so I said, great, I'll pay you $5 per set 
that we play. And we usually play three sets. And one of you will stand on one side of the net. The other one will stand on the other side of the net. And you run and collect the balls like you see them do on TV. And they said, great, awesome. So they started doing that, yet they would goof off. They would be distracting and they would goof off. And I, I said, look, if you're going to do a job, you've got to do the job properly. So what you want to do is stand at attention silently without moving until it's time for you to run. And then when you go to get the ball, run as fast as you can to get that ball and pay attention to us to see if we're wanting you to throw it back to us. So we taught them how to do that. Well, from time to time, one of the boys wouldn't want to do the, the task. They just said, I don't want to do it today. So we'd say, great, play in the park. And the other one, though, we'd say, look, you have the option. You can either do it. If you do, you'll have to do both sides of the net. The good news is, though, you'll get paid $10 a set. You'll get the other guy's money. Well, when, when the other son saw his brother getting all the money, he went, I want to do this. And then the last lesson we taught them as far as that was concerned is that if you do not do your job well, you can get fired. So do your job well. Otherwise, you won't be allowed to do that job anymore. And when you do your job exceptionally well, guess what? You might get a bonus. You might get extra. You might get tipped. And so all these you know, financial concepts seem really simple and like everybody should know them. There's no place people teach kids that. They, they just aren't. They're not taught that right now. Mm, I know. I know. It's such, it should be a subject at school. It should be, but it's not. But you can get it from the book. So I absolutely love that book. It's a must read for everyone. Okay. I want to talk to you about your morning routine and how you prime yourself for your day. And can you kind of talk us through what you do in the morning, your little success rituals and things that you do? And then also, how does your day unfold? Like, talk us through a quote-unquote typical day in your life. I know two days are probably ever the same, but give us like a rundown of from start to end. I wake up 6 a.m. every morning and I get out of bed. And I first thing I do is I have a cup of coffee and I, I enjoy the coffee. I enjoy waking up. I ponder the day. I consider all the things that we want to get done for the day. At 6.30, my wife and I, uh, at 6.30, the, the nanny arrives, and my wife and I go to the gym, and when we're in Southern California, we play racquetball for an hour and 15 minutes. If we are at the Vegas house, we play tennis for an hour and a half, and we get that cardio in. We come back from exercising, and couples, especially with kids and especially with young kids that are still dependent, don't have enough intimate time. And so if you don't plan to work out, likely is if you don't work out first thing, you're not going to work out. For us, at least in our routine, we know that if we let the day take charge, we're not going to have any intimate time either. So mommy and daddy go upstairs to shower as soon as we get back from racquetball. And when I say shower, I mean shower. And so, by the way, my, my son figure, realizes something's going on when mommy and daddy go upstairs to shower after racquetball because he'll ask, mommy and daddy, how come it takes you guys so much longer to shower than it takes me? And I told my son, I, I said, son, your mother is a very dirty woman. She's very dirty. <laughs> so we shower and then we shower again and get ready for our day. I do my creative work. I do writing and any kind of a creative project first thing in the morning for the same reason that the busy work tends to dig into the day. And if you do the busy stuff early, it consumes your whole day. And yet if you don't do the busy stuff in the first half of the day, then in the second half of the day, if it has to get done, you tend to get it done. I also spend as much time as I can with the family. So I have a home office in both of our homes where I, I like to work. We have offices in both cities as well, but I like to work out of the house for my part so that I can walk downstairs between, between calls or between writing and you know get a hug all the way around from everybody or say hello. We tend to have lunch together every single day and dinner together, of course, every single day. And then at night, I, I just, again, spend some quality time either playing games or watching movies in our home theater and snuggling with the kids until they go up to bed. Mm, beautiful. I love that. And I love that you 
schedule in lovemaking because I talk a lot about this and especially in my second book, Open Wide, because if you don't make the time, it will most likely get missed off your calendar. And like you schedule the time for exercise and meditation, you've got to put it in for lovemaking. My husband and I are very, very diligent with this. Otherwise, you know, life gets full and things happen and we want to make it a priority. And so if we want to do that, we've got to put it in our calendar. Absolutely. And unmet needs get met. So not fulfilling that need, that human need between two people, what happens is there starts to be resentment that will build up and there starts to be distance that'll come between the couple. So I I wholeheartedly agree. And we tell people in our seminars the same thing. It it may seem mechanical, yet it's not. Um, My wife loves hugs more than I do. So if, if I walk past her and I don't hug her, I can sense her energy is, why didn't you hug me? So even though I don't need a hug every time I come in her, her, you know, in her proximity, I give her that hug anyways, because that's her need. If you, if you don't get that intimacy and the lovemaking in first, at least for us, first thing in the morning, the day tends to go long. My wife tends to go to bed early with the kids and she, she likes to sleep longer than I do. So I stay up a little bit later. So I wholeheartedly agree, Melissa, you've got to make sure that that portion of your life is healthy. And, you know, sometimes I think it goes even beyond that. Like I said, I was married twice before my one true wife. I think a lot of times people that are single don't ask the right questions when they when they meet somebody. So if somebody has an appetite that they want to shower every day or even twice a day and their mate wants to shower once a month, well, in the beginning, it might have been a lot of passion. But after a while, the real person starts to show up and the representative doesn't anymore. And having been in relationships way, way long ago where we had different sexual appetites, I realized that you've got to make sure that that area of your life and and a normal, healthy, well-adjusted person is a part of your life. Because as far as creativity goes, Napoleon Hill even talked about an entire chapter in Think and Grow Rich of the concept of sexual transmutation. And what he was talking about in that topic was of all the people that he had researched for Think and Grow Rich, all of the men that men in that time, early 1930s, men in that time, all of them were extremely highly sexed. And he determined there was a direct correlation between highly sexed people and their ability to create and produce prosperity. Mm, Because that lovemaking, that energy, it's creative. It's life force energy. Absolutely. Do you feel like it's something that is best off doing every morning? Like, what do you think? Morning, noon, and night, if you don't have kids, yes. But (laughs) for us, again, every day, uh, you know, I I have a big appetite, and and I wasn't exaggerating to say that morning, noon, and night would be just fine with me. I also, though, know that my wife has other things that she has to do, take care of the kids. You know, my arrangement with my bride is she takes care of me, I take care of everything else. So that gives her time to be with the kids, take them to karate and dance and and vocal and music and computer programming and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I I think it's important to have it on a regular basis. I, I do know that, again, the people that I know that are in healthy, passionate relationships, they don't get sick because their their immune system is stronger. They don't fight because they're at ease and they're connected with each other. And so, yeah, I, I oftentimes will prescribe for couples. I'll ask, someone will stand up and I can tell that they're, they're having challenge. And I'll say, how often do the two of you make love? And maybe the guy or the gal will blush and I'll say, it's an important question. We're all adults here. Let me ask an adult question. How often are you guys intimate? Well, you know, every, every couple of weeks, well, right there, I'm going to prescribe something for you. I'm going to prescribe that you guys hold each other more. I'm going to prescribe, sir, you take the the first move and you cuddled her. You hold her hand during the rest of the entire seminar. 
because women are like uh, crockpots. Men are like microwaves and you've got to keep her steaming. Uh, if you look at my wife's phone on any given day, there'll be 10 or 15 messages, text messages for me saying, I love you. You're the best decision I ever made. I, I, I cannot wait to hold you in my hands. Can't wait to taste you. And, and I just think that, again, everybody's different and not everybody wants that. I had a Russian couple that had come through my seminar and they were out to dinner with some of the other students and my wife and I, if my wife is in my proximity, I'm touching her. If, if her hand's close enough to hold, I'm holding it. If I can lean down and give her a kiss on the cheek or on, on the back of her hand, I'm going to do that. And this Russian woman was watching uh, us interact. And the next day we were back in session. And I said, I noticed that you put a lot of attention on that. You were watching me holding Erica's hand and caressing her cheek and moving her hair back behind her ear. What'd you think of that? She said, oh, it's too much. I said, okay. I noticed that this couple hadn't touched each other. We've been together for three days. Hadn't touched each other once in three days. No hug, no handhold, no kiss, no nothing. And so I started with him because I always start with the guy and, and, and call me sexist that I think that men should be the rock of their household. Doesn't mean that the women are, are helpless or, or need anybody to take care of them. I just was brought up very old fashioned. And so for me, if it's to be done, I'm accountable to do it first. And so I'm always the one that will reach out first to my wife. I'm always the one that will apologize quicker. And it works for us. I don't know about anybody else's relationship. It works for us. And I said, because you're the man in this relationship, I've got a question for you. When was the last time you told her that you love her? He said, well, I told her once. Uh, and they've been together five years. I told her once four years ago. I said, when else have you told her? He said, I don't. I, I told her that I loved her. And she said, oh, no, you don't. And then never told me that she loved me. So I just, I didn't do it again. I said, wow. I said, uh, can, can you say the words, I love you? He said, sure, I can say the words, but it won't mean anything to her. I said, doesn't, doesn't have to mean anything to her. Just say the words. Just say, I love you. And look her square in the eye. He said, I love you. Rather cold, flat. I said, okay. Say it again. And this time, say it with a little bit of passion. He said, I love you. And she starts to get angry. She says, oh, you're just saying that because he told you to say that. I said, say it again and let her know you mean it. Because you mean it, right? He said, absolutely. So he got down on his knees in front of her and he looked up into her eyes and he held her hands and he said, I love you. Now she's crying her eyes out and, well, you know, you, you said I was fat. He said, no, I said, we should get to the gym. I said, both of us need to get to the gym. <laughs> well, you know, you, you just think I'm fat. He said, no, I think you're perfect. I just want us both to be healthy. And it was, it was fascinating. They left. And then six months later, I happened to be in their presence again. And she's all over him. He's all over her, just holding her and kissing her and caressing each other. She walked over to me in tears of joy. She said, you saved our relationship. You saved my life. Thank you. And it was just beautiful. You know, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know how good things can be. It's, whether it's sex, money, or power, you don't know that you can have everything you want. You don't have to settle. Yes, I love that. Such great advice. My husband does the same thing where he texts me every single day, the most beautiful message, and I just love it. And it's something so simple that takes, what, 30 seconds and it makes my day. So, oh, I love this. This is so great. I've got three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? Boxers. Okay. What's one of the most important things that we can do today for our health? Drink more water. Yep. Love it. What's one thing that we can do today for our wealth? So more abundance in all areas of our life. Understand the concept of velocity. Velocity as it pertains to our money is the speed and frequency in which our money changes hands. I think most people are broke because they're afraid they're going to be broke. And so they hold on to their first dollar as if they're going to make it sweat blood. 
And I think you have, I don't think you must be willing to spend money to make money. You've got to come from a mindset that the more I spend, and I mean this in the truest sense of the word, the more I spend, the more I, f- I find ways to generate more revenue, the more the whole world works. Because if I buy something from you and you buy something from them and they buy something from me, the world economy is working. And so velocity. Mm, love it. And what's one thing that we can do today for more love in our life? Be loving. Beautiful. Plant what you want to grow. Yeah. I love it. Be the first one to reach out. Yes, I totally agree. Be the first. My husband has that little mantra. He says, be the first, be the first, be the first. Because we go for walks or hikes and we were walking and he was like, why don't people smile or people say hello? And so he's like, I'm going to be the first. I'm going to be the first one that says hello. I'm going to be the first one that says good morning. I'm going to be the first one that apologizes. So yeah, it's a nice little reminder. Be the first. Absolutely. Marshall, this has been so epic so far. I'm just loving it. Is there anything else that you want to share with us or any last parting words of wisdom or anything that you wanted to talk about that I haven't asked you about? You know, we've covered a lot. The the only thing is that we're putting the final arrangements on the Australia trip, and I believe it's going to happen. And as soon as I have more details, I will Skype you over the information so that your folks can know where they can come see me and also the Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort. And I would love to meet some of my friends down there in Australia. Our infomercial, Passion, Profit, and Power, many years ago, Australia was our second biggest market. So I know I've got some friends down there. I've got some people that I'm looking forward to meeting. And all I can say is you are a delight. I love your energy. I love your your content. I love who you are. And the world's a better place because you're here, Melissa. Oh, thank you so much. That is so sweet. I have loved chatting to you and I'm such a big believer in service. And I want to know what I can do and the listeners can do to serve you today because you give so much to so many people. How can we give back to you today? Check back to this website, to your website, as we get the updates on my trip to Australia. It's the first time I will have been down there in my lifetime, so I'm very excited about it. And the best gift they could give back is to come to one of the events, I know they're public events, come to one of the public events and walk up and say, hey, I heard you on Melissa's show. I just wanted to say hi, shake your hand, give you a hug. That would be the greatest thing in the world to me. Oh, and we will definitely link to it in the show notes. Marshall, this has been so epic. I have loved your energy. I've loved your enthusiasm, all of your wisdom. I'm so grateful that we were finally able to connect and to have this conversation. You're a really beautiful human being and thank you for all the work that you do in the world. You are very welcome and you are loved. Have an awesome day. Thank you so much. Wasn't that awesome, guys? So many epic tips and tricks and reminders. I loved this conversation. And he is such a beautiful person. We were chatting before and after the interview, and he was so lovely, so kind, so generous with his time, just such a beautiful human being. I highly recommend checking out everything that we spoke about, especially his wife's birthing video. Go and watch it right now. It is epic. I got so much out of today's episode. And if you did too, please subscribe and leave me a review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that you could potentially be the review of the week for next week. And don't forget, anyone who leaves me a review, send me a screenshot to hello at melissaambrosini.com and I will gift you one of my meditations, my wildly wealthy meditations. So don't forget to do that. 
And also, don't forget to come and follow me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini and tell me your top key takeaways from this episode. I absolutely love reading them all and I do read them all. So thank you to anyone who puts their key takeaways in the Instagram post. I love it. And for everything that Marshall and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 269. And you can also listen to all my other episodes there too. And before I go, my darling, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself, and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please be an angel and share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them. Just do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, my darling, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.